Section 23 of The Myths of the New World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perard. The Myths of the New World by Daniel Brenton. Chapter 9, Part 1. The Soul and Its Destiny. Universality of the belief in a soul in a future state, shown by the aboriginal tongues, by expressed opinions, and by sepulchral rites. The future world, never a place of rewards and punishments. The house of the sun, the heaven of the red man. The terrestrial paradise, and the underworld. Kope, Isalba, Miklan, Metempsychosis. Belief in a resurrection of the dead, almost universal. The missionary Charlevoix wrote several excellent works on America toward the beginning of the last century, and he is often quoted by later authors. But probably no one of his sayings has been thus honored more frequently than this. Quote, the belief the best established among our Americans is that of the immortality of the world. Unquote. The tremendous stake that every one of us has on the truth of this dogma makes it quite a satisfaction to be persuaded that no man is willing to live wholly without it. Certainly exceptions are very rare, and most of those which materialistic philosophers have taken such pains to collect rest on misunderstandings or superficial observation. In the New World, I know of only one well-authenticated instance where all notion of a future state appears to have been entirely wanting, and this in quite a small clan, the lower Pindore of Oregon. This people had no burial ceremonies, no notion of a life hereafter, no word for soul, spiritual existence, or vital principle. They thought that when they died, that was the last of them. The Catholic missionaries who undertook the unpromising task of converting them to Christianity were at first obliged to depend upon the imperfect translations of half-breed interpreters. These made the idea of soul intelligible to the hearers by telling them they had a gut which never rotted, and that this was their living principle. Yet even they were not destitute of religious notions. No tribe was more addicted to the observance of charms, omens, dreams, and guardian spirits, and they believed that illness and bad luck generally were the effects of the anger of a fabulous old woman. The aborigines of the Californian peninsula were as near beasts as men ever become. The missionaries likened them to herds of swine who neither worshipped the true and only God nor adored false deities. Yet they must have had some vague notion of an afterworld, for the writer who paints the darkest picture of their condition remarks i saw them frequently putting shoes on the feet of the dead which seems to indicate that they entertained the idea of a journey after death proof of chalvois opinion may be derived from three independent sources the aboriginal languages may be examined for terms corresponding to the word soul the opinions of the Indians themselves may be quoted, and the significance of sepulchral rites as indicative of a belief in life after death may be determined. The most satisfactory is the first of these. 
we call the soul a ghost or spirit, and often a shade. In these words, the breath and the shadow are the sensuous perceptions transferred to represent the immaterial object of our thought. Why the former was chosen, I have already explained. And for the latter, that it is man's intangible image, his constant companion, and is of a nature akin to darkness, earth, and night, are sufficiently of obvious reasons. These same tropes recur in American languages in the same connection. The New England tribes called the soul Chemung, the shadow, and in Quiche, Natuk, in Eskimo, Tarnak, express both these ideas. In Mohawk, Atonritz, the soul is from Antarayan, to breed, and other examples to the same purpose have already been given. Of course, no one need demand that a strict immateriality be attached to these words. Such a colorless, negative abstraction never existed for them, neither does it for us, though we delude ourselves into believing that it does. The soul was to them the invisible man, material as ever, but lost to the appreciation of the senses. Nor let anyone be astonished if its unity was doubted, and several supposed to reside in one body. This is nothing more than a somewhat gross form of a doctrine upheld by most creeds and most philosophies. It seems the readiest solution of certain psychological enigmas, and may, for aught we know, be an instinct of fact. The rabbis taught a threefold division. Nefesh, the animal, ruah, the human, and neshama, the divine soul, which corresponds to that of Plato into Thumos, Epithumia, and Nous. And even St. Paul seems to have recognized such inherent plurality when he distinguishes between the bodily soul, the intellectual soul, and the spiritual gift in his Epistle to the Romans. No such refinements, of course, as these, are to be expected among the red men, but it may be looked upon either as the rudiments of these teachings or as a gradual debasement of them to gross and material expression, that an old and widespread notion was found among both Iroquois and Algonquins, that man has two souls, one of a vegetative character which gives bodily life and remains with the corpse after death, until it is called to enter another body, another of more ethereal texture, which in life can depart from the body in sleep or trance, and wander over the world, and at death goes directly to the land of spirits. The Sioux extended it to Plato's number, and are said to have looked forward to one going to a cold place, another to a warm and comfortable country, while the third was to watch the body, certainly a most impartial distribution of rewards and punishments. Some other Dakotic tribes shared their views on this point, but more commonly, doubtless owing to the sacredness of the number, imagined four souls with separate destinies, one to wander about the world, one to watch the body, the third to hover around the village, and the highest to go to the spirit land. Even this number is multiplied by certain Oregon tribes who imagine one in every member, and by the Caribs of Martinique, who, 
wherever they could detect a pulsation located a spirit all subordinate however to a supreme one throned in the heart which alone would be transported to the skies at death for the heart that so constantly sympathizes with our emotions and actions is in most languages and most nations regarded as the seat of life and when the priests of bloody religions tore out the heart of the victim and offered it to the idol it was an emblem of the life that was thus torn from the field of this world and consecrated to the rulers of the next various motives impel the living to treat with respect the body from which life has departed lowest of them is a superstitious dread of death and the dead the stoicism of the indian especially the northern tribes in the face of death has often been the topic of poets and has often been interpreted to be a fearlessness of that event this is by no means true savages have an awful horror of death it is to them the worst of ills and for this very reason was it that they thought to meet it without flinching was the highest proof of courage everything connected with the deceased was in many tribes shunned with superstitious terror his name was not mentioned his property left untouched all references to him was sedulously avoided a tupi tribe used to hurry the body at once to the nearest water and toss it in the akansas left it in the lodge and burned over it the dwelling and contents and the algonkins carried it forth by a hole cut opposite the door and beat the walls with sticks to fright away the lingering ghost burying places were always avoided and every means taken to prevent the departed spirits exercising a malicious influence on those remaining behind these craven fears do but reveal the natural repugnance of the animal to a succession of existence and arise from the instinct of self-preservation essential to organic life other rites undertaken avowedly for the behoof of the soul prove and illustrate a simple but unshaken faith in its continued existence after the decay of the body none of these is more common or more natural than that which attributes to the emancipated spirit the same wants that it felt while on earth and with loving foresight provides for their satisfaction clothing and utensils of war and the chase were in ancient times uniformly placed by the body under the impression that they would be of service to the departed in his new home some few tribes in the far west still retained the custom but most were soon ridiculed into its neglect or were forced to omit it by the violation of tombs practiced by depraved whites in hope of gain to these harmless offerings the northern tribes often added a dog slain on the grave and doubtless the skeletons of these animals in so many tombs in mexico and peru point to similar customs there it had no deeper meaning than to give a companion to the spirit in its long and lonesome journey to the far-off land of shades the peculiar appropriateness of the dog arose not only from the guardianship it exerts during life but further from the symbolic signification it so often had as representative of the goddess of night and the grave where a despotic form of government 
reduced the subject almost to the level of a slave and elevated the ruler almost to that of a superior being not animals only but men women and children were frequently immolated at the tomb of the cacique the territory embraced in our own country was not without examples of this horrid custom on the lower mississippi the natchez indians brought it with them from central america in all its ghastliness when a son or chief died one of several of his wives and his highest officers were knocked on the head and buried with him and at such times the barbarous privilege was allowed to any of the lowest caste to at once gain admittance to the highest by the deliberate murder of their own children on the funeral pyre a privilege which respectable writers tell us human beings were found base enough to take advantage of oviedo relates that in the province of guataro and guatemala an actual rivalry prevailed among the people to be slain at the death of their cacique for they had been taught that only such as went with him would ever find their way to the paradise of the departed theirs was therefore somewhat of a selfish motive and only in certain parts of peru where polygamy prevailed and the rule was that only one wife was to be sacrificed does the deportment of husbands seem to have been so creditable that their widows actually disputed one with another for the pleasure of being buried alive with the dead body and bearing their spouse company to the other world wives who have found few parallels since the famous matron of Ephesus. the fire built nightly on the grave was to light the spirit on his journey by a coincidence to be explained by the universal sacredness of the number both algonquins and mexicans maintained it for four nights consecutively the former related the tradition that one of their ancestors returned from the spirit land and informed their nation that the journey thither consumed just four days and that collecting fuel every night added much to the toil and fatigue the soul encountered all of which could be spared it by the relatives kindling nightly a fire on the grave or as longfellow has told it four days is the spirit's journey to the land of ghosts and shadows for its lonely night encampments therefore when the dead are buried let a fire as night approaches four times on the grave be kindled that the soul upon its journey may not grope about in darkness in the same length of time say the navajos does the departed soul wander over a gloomy marsh ere it can discover the ladder leading to the world below where are the homes of the setting and the rising sun a land of luxuriant plenty stocked with game and covered with corn to that land say they sink all lost seeds and germs which fall on the earth and do not sprout there below they take root bud and ripen their fruit after four days once more in the superstitions of the greenland eskimos does the soul for that term after death confined in the body at last break from its prison-house and either rise in the sky to dance in the aurora borealis or descend into the pleasant land beneath the earth according to the manner of death that there are logical contradictions in this belief and these ceremonies that the fire is always in the same spot that the weapons and utensils are not carried away by the departed 
and that the food placed for his sustenance remains untouched is very true but those who would therefore argue that they were not intended for the benefit of the soul and seek some more recondite meaning in them as unconscious emblems of struggling faith or expressions of inward emotions are led astray by the very simplicity of their real intention where is the faith where the science that does not involve logical contradictions just as gross as these they are tolerable to us merely because we are used to them what value has the evidence of the senses anywhere against a religious faith none whatever a stumbling block though this be to the materialist it is the universal truth and such it is well to accept it as an experimental fact the preconceived opinions that saw in the meteorological myths of the indians a conflict between the spirit of good and the spirit of evil have with like unconscious error falsified his doctrine of a future life and almost without an exception drawn it more or less in the likeness of the christian heaven hell and purgatory very faint traces of any such belief except where derived from the missionaries are visible in the new world nowhere was any well-defined doctrine that moral turpitude was judged and punished in the next world no contrast is discoverable between a place of torments and a realm of joy at the worst but a negative castigation awaited the liar the coward or the niggard the typical belief of the tribes of the united states was well expressed in the reply of esa hacho great metal chief and speaker for the creek nation in the national council to the question do the red people believe in a future state of rewards and punishments Quote, we have an opinion that those who have behaved well are taken under the care of esegita emesi and assisted and that those who have behaved ill are left to shift for themselves and that there is no other punishment Unquote. End of section 23